You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, everybody, we're in a series called Survivor, and uh, we just want to welcome you to this as part two of this series. And if you're watching online, we're so grateful for you watching online. Maybe you're watching in your living room, in your kitchen, uh, wherever you're watching at. We're just so grateful you're part of this weekend's experience. And also, we want to give a big uh, hello to our Fenwick Island campus, everybody here at Millsboro. Let's give Fenwick Island a big hand. Thank you guys for joining us this morning. And uh, great things are happening in Fenwick Island, that campus, and we're so grateful for that. So we're in a series uh, called uh, Survivor, and it's based on the book of First and Second Thessalonians. And if you're uh, a believer, we want to help you to understand the Bible better so you can read the Bible for yourself. That's part of our mission here at Bayshore. We encourage people to read the Bible for themselves. So on our weekend services, many times we talk about books of the Bible, so when you come to it in your devotions, you can have a better understanding and get more out of that so the Lord can speak to you. If you're an unbeliever and you're a seeker and you're not really sure about this and you're just checking out Bayshore, we're so grateful you're here because we want to give you some background so you can think for yourself about how the Bible works and just begin to explore the Bible uh, on your own. So today, we're going to be looking at f- the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Last week, we looked at chapter 17 of Acts, and you can't really understand the epistles of Paul, the the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, unless you go to the book of Acts and you see the birth stories of the churches in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 17 tells you how the church of Thessalonica started. So in order to really understand why Paul wrote this letter, you've got to kind of understand the background of the, the church itself. And what we learned last week is that this church was birthed out of intense persecution. Paul had to leave the city after a you know, short time. He, we know he was in the synagogue for three weeks. He was probably in Thessalonica a little longer than that. But the intense persecution got so rough that they had to escort Paul out of the city in darkness under the cover of night. So he had to flee uh, for his life out of Thessalonica. So you can see the environment that the early church uh, experienced in Thessalonica, they were, they were born out of times of great persecution. It makes me think of Moses in the Old Testament. When he was born, he was born when Pharaoh was threatened by the Jewish population of Egypt, and he was trying to kill all the male children. And so Moses was born in that environment. Like, like that, the Thessalonica church was born in times of life-threatening situation where they were uh, under great persecution. So in order to understand them, and if you read 1 Thessalonians, as you read 1 Thessalonians as we study it, you're going to see that Paul references this idea of them being facing uh, persecution over and over again, and he's worried about them. Are they going to be able to survive? Are they going to make it? They're baby Christians. They've, They've been, this church is less than a year old, when Paul writes this letter to them. So when you read 1 Thessalonians in your devotions, you want to remember that you're reading this book uh, based on these are brand new Christians. They don't know anything. And they are coming to Jesus. They've come to Jesus in very, very difficult times. Consequently, Paul is worried about them. 
are they going to make it? Are they going to be okay? Are they going to survive? Are they going to make it? And are they going to just say, this is too hard, we're going to quit? So he's worried about them. So he's writing this letter to encourage them and to uh, sort of let them know that he's behind them. That's part of what he's doing. I was cutting the grass the other day. That's something we get to do now. The spring's here. The grass is growing. So I was cutting the grass, and uh, I have a zero-turn lawnmower, and I was up there by the deck of the back of the house. And as I came next to the deck, there was a little, little baby bunny, a little uh, cottontail rabbit that had evidently you know, was born under my deck there, and there's probably other little bunnies in there. A little bunny popped out there, and, and you could see the bunny uh, hopping in the grass. And he's so little that all you could see, the grass was, you know, about that high, all you could see was the little ears popping up out of the grass as he was hopping along, you know. And, uh, oh, my gosh, I was, like, so worried about this little bunny. I'm cutting the grass and wanted to get my grass gun, but it done, but I didn't want to run over the bunny, you know. So I'm really concerned about the bunny, and so I'm going real slow, and I couldn't find him, so I got off the lawnmower and got Karen out of the house. So you got to see this little bunny, so cute. So we, uh, we're in the yard trying to find this little bunny, and uh, he had hopped up on the, edge of the, uh, on the edge of the tree and camouflaged himself. I think I have a picture of that. And uh, he just kind of camouflaged himself up on the tree. And, uh, and it was, I sent the picture to my grandkids, and they're all excited. And they said, Papa, you know, climb under the, you know, under the deck and find more bunnies. You know, they wanted me to do that. And, of course, I told them I would, but I didn't. But anyhow, <laughs> but this little bunny is kind of hopping along trying to, you know, survive, and, and I chased him off, and I kept uh, cutting the grass, and he kept moving further and further over every time I would cut a strip of grass, and he finally, you know, got in my neighbor's yard. So when I think about the Apostle Paul and how he feels about these Thessalonians, it's like that. He's worried that they're so young, they're so little, they're so vulnerable that he wants to make sure they're going to be okay, and so he writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians. So let's read a little bit of it and let's kind of get a feel for that and let's talk a little bit about persecution. That's the first thing we need to talk about because that was their reality. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 10, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Uh, interesting little thing there. You know, Paul always addresses his letters, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is one of the only letters Paul just gives his name. Hey, I'm Paul. And that's significant because they had such respect for Paul in Thessalonica. This was not a problem church. They didn't have problems, really, not many problems like some of the other churches. And Paul didn't have to defend his authority. He didn't have to throw out his title. He just was very, very, uh, you know, hey, I'm Paul and Silas and Timothy. They knew them from when they were there. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 2, we always, grace and peace to you, we always Thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith and your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord in spite, in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model for all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
The Lord's message ran out, rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, but they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So he says that you, uh, in spite of, in verse 6, he said, you became imitators of us and the Lord in spite of severe suffering. So we, we see again, and in chapter 2, chapter 3, he talks about that they came into existence in severe suffering. So let's talk a little bit about persecution. Persecution is something that's very, very normal for the Christian, uh, kind of the Christian world. Right now, there's people that are experiencing persecution because they are following Jesus. I have a friend that just recently got back from India and he was preaching in India and we have a new there's a new president in India that's very very pro-Hindu and in India right now this very very pro-Hindu president has now made it illegal for a Christian church to proselytize people that have a faith in, in that are Hindus and so in fact, this church that my friend was preaching at, an inspector from the government recently came to that church and, and, and interviewed all the leadership of the church, the pastor, the elders, and was pressuring them not to reach out to any Hindus, or if they did, there would be severe consequences. So there are many places in the world where people are persecuted for their faith. In America, we have freedom of religion here. I'm very, very grateful for that. But I feel like, and if you're aware at all, you can sense the climate changing toward people that are Bible-believing Christian people. Uh, and uh, it's very subtle. It's sort of, you know, kind of like tongue-in-cheek, jokes about Christians, late-night comedians making fun of Christians and things that we stand for. So in our country, it's very possible that the climate toward people that love Jesus could shift in the future, where we could experience more severe persecution. Now, that's not anything that ever excites me, but what I do know about this is whenever the church is persecuted historically, whenever there is heat put on the church, the church prospers and does well. Same thing happened here in Thessalonica. The gospel is, is ringing out. It's ringing out through this city, this being, these churches that are this church that's being persecuted. And everybody's hearing about the gospel because the church is being persecuted. The worst thing that probably ever happened to the church is when in 312 AD, when Constantine had his supposedly vision of the cross in the sky and he won the victory against another Roman general at the Melvin, Melvin Bridge, and he became sort of very positive toward Christianity. In 325, he gave it very positive reviews, and it became very popular to become a Christian in the Roman Empire in 325 AD. So all these Christians started... Uh, you know, receiving favor from the government. And what happened is people started coming into the church that really weren't Christians. And when they came into the church, they came in because Constantine was now favorable toward Christianity, and it was good for their career, and it was good for their standing in the community. Consequently, the church lost its power and its real effect in the gospel. So if we have some persecution in our country, if there is times when it becomes unpopular to be be a Christian, it really will have a positive effect. We're praying for revival, for the Lord to send revival to America, for God to do great things. And I don't think we really think about how that could really happen. 
We think about, hey, we want revival. We want the Lord to fill our churches up. We want God to do great things. And I think we want to be, you know, we, I don't think we really understand how God may do that. God may cause us to become less and less popular as followers of Jesus and that we could experience some persecution. And if that were to happen in America, there would be, I think, the beginnings of a real revival and a real purification of the church. The church needs to be purified. The church needs to be made up of people that really, really love Jesus. They aren't just coming to church because it's got a big steeple on the top and it's good for your standing in the community. The church should be filled with people who really, really love Jesus. And if you're here this morning because you really, really love Jesus, say a big amen. amen. So that's an important thing. Now, Bayshore doesn't have a big steeple, so it's not a big problem for us, you know. <laughs> we used to have one, but it, we used to have had one, and it blew off. But anyhow, here's some things for you to think about persecution. We worry as Christians when people don't like us. Jesus said we should worry when everyone likes us. Here's what Jesus said. He said, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how, they, they, how their ancestors were treated, how the ancestors treated the false prophets. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Lennon Ravenhill says this, if a Christian is not having tribulation in the world, there is something wrong. And then Billy Graham, we all know who Billy Graham is. Billy Graham says, persecution is one of the natural consequences of living the Christian life. So for us to really follow Jesus, it may mean that some people in our family may not be really big on us. Uh, for, to really follow Jesus, it may mean that some people at our workplace may make fun of us somewhat. Now, God does give us favor with unconverted uh, people. And there are people that we have favor with. And we don't want to walk around with a martyr complex just kind of looking, you know, for trouble. But when we really, really follow Jesus, there's going to be some people that are not going to be fans of our walking with Jesus. So Jesus said, don't worry if you get some persecution. Worry if you don't get any persecution. Worry if you are so blended with culture that nobody can really tell that you're a follower of Jesus. So that's the first thing. Second thing about persecution is they persecuted Jesus. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you as well. Matthew 10, 24 and 25 says, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and a servant like their master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. That's a very derogatory term. It, it, here's what it is. Lord of the Flies. Beelzebub means the flies that would fly around the cow manure on the ground. If they called Jesus a Lord of the Flies, Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So Jesus was persecuted. Paul was persecuted. People that really follow Jesus in history experience negative pushback from culture. And what's happened to our churches today, and I'm all about, you know, strobe lights, and I'm all about modern, modern things, and I'm all about dressing casual to church and all that. I'm all about that. And the modern look that we have at Bayshore is so important. But the gospel, staying true to the gospel, will cause there to be pushback. And so there, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. And then finally, one other verse. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. In fact, everyone 
who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And here's what John Stott said. John Stott says, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable uh, value systems. So we have a different value system. Jesus is the Lord of our life. We believe in the Bible. We believe in the goodness of God. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. We believe that when Christ comes to our life, we live a different way. We walk a different manner. We walk in integrity. And because we have a different value system, there will be clashes with the world. So that's the first thing that we see about that. And so uh, Paul is writing to people that have gone through, uh, have been birthed out of persecution. They've been birthed out of difficulty. And he's worried about, are they going to hang in there when they're persecuted? Are they going to hang in there? So I want you to say this with me. Persecution is normal. For a person that follows Jesus. So I, I, when I say persecution is normal for people that follow Jesus, I mean that just living a godly life, loving Jesus, being loyal to the Bible in our culture, believing that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that just living that way in authenticity in university, in university, in your workplace... When I went to, I, you know, most of my education has been secular university studies. And I remember being in university and having those debates in, in class with professors that, that were against uh, the faith and all that. And you always do that with kindness and sweetness. But when you take a different stand, sometimes there's pushback about that. So that's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's uh, very, very important. Now, there's some people that are Christians that that are just overbearing. You've ever met an overbearing Christian? They're just overbearing. And they're just like, they're just, they don't have any tactfulness. Ever met anybody like that? There, we used to have a guy in the church that was like that. He was just so overbearing. And uh, I wanted to slap him. You know, I just wanted to slap him myself, you know? <laughs> but you don't want to be overbearing. You don't want to have lack of tactfulness. But you want to be faithful to serving the Lord. And there's a, when you're in a restaurant, and everybody's eating, and you bow your heads. I was at a restaurant not too long ago, and, and, uh, and I saw across the table, Karen and I hadn't gotten our food yet, and uh, there was a, a couple, and before they ate their food in that public restaurant, they, they, they bowed their heads, and they prayed, and they didn't just pray a quick prayer. I mean, they were praying, and I think their food was getting cold. They just kept praying. <laughs> And I watch people look at them, and I, I have such respect for that. Don't be afraid to identify yourself as a Christian in public because people need to see people that authentically love Jesus in public. That's such an important thing. So the next thing that Paul says about them, he's wondering about, are they, uh, you know, how does he know if they're really going to stick? And here's what he says in verse 2. As he's writing them, remember, they're persecuted. They're going through a hard time. And he's writing them, writing to them, and he's trying to encourage them. And here's what he says to them in, in verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. He starts out the letter by saying, we always thank God for all of you. And when I worked on that this week and I was uh, looking at that, uh, that part of this chapter, I began to think about, can you just imagine, Paul is... Uh, 
writing this letter, and he sees faces. He sees faces as he's writing the letter. He sees faces in the synagogue of people with tears rolling down their face that put their faith in Jesus. He sees those individual faces, and he's thinking about individual people. Now, there's a big crowd here this morning, but let you know, I want, to, want you to know that in this big crowd, everybody is an individual person that God cares about and loves. And when Paul was writing this letter, he began to think about individual people that he had seen in that church that put their faith in Jesus. And Paul says, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Every time I think of you, I thank God for you. So when you think about this, you know, if you have somebody that's a blessing in your life, it's important to go to them and tell them that you appreciate them, that you are grateful for them, you're thankful for the things that they do for you and the input they have in your life. That's wonderful. You should encourage people verbally and affirm people with, uh, with good things and say, I'm so thankful for what you do uh, for me and all those things. But it's important, Paul says here, that we should thank God for those people. So when I was writing this sermon, uh, I began to have uh, faces that came in to my mind, people that I see every Sunday here. Many of you know I stand out in the parking lot. That's what I love to do. And you're coming in and I get to see you. And, and there's, I look forward to seeing you every week. I look forward to talking to some of you. Some people I get to talk to every week. And I have a conversation with you people. And I was thinking about my friend Don Perky, who serves in our, our church here. Don is one of the ushers here. I get to talk to Don every Sunday. We had a wonderful little talk this morning about his 37-acre uh, farm he has. And we had this wonderful conversation. And there's other people I talk to every Sunday. And I, it just it fills my heart up to talk to people that I get to see every week. And here's what I began to realize I began to realize that I get to see these wonderful people every week. Many of you wonderful people, we get to talk together. We get to hang out together a little bit. We have a few moments together to share and talk. And how much that fills my heart up. But, you know, it's so easy to just take that for granted, that that person will always be there. And you just kind of like, oh, that's just kind of how it is. You know, you just take that for granted. But Paul did not take this for granted. Paul paused and he thanked the Lord. He began to thank the Lord for certain people. And he began to thank the Lord for that. And, and what I have done this week is, I don't know if you've done this for your spouse lately, I married a wonderful woman that is way over my head. I mean, I, you know, people look at me all the time and they see Karen and they say, how did he pull that off? And every time she cooks a meal, you know, I clean up and most of the time and she cooks the meal. And I always say to her, just, this is such a good meal. How does she do that year after year after year cooking good meals? I mean, I just say to her, these are the best hot dogs I have ever had. <laughs> they are amazing. But I do. I literally thank her every day for things. And she cleans the house. And, of course, I try to do my part. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not great at that like she is. But I thank the Lord for her. When's the last time you thanked the Lord for your spouse? Lord, I thank you for this wonderful person that you miraculously brought into, brought into my life. Miraculously brought into my life. And uh, if you are married, uh, that's something that you should do this week. Just say, Lord, I thank you. And what about people that are special to you that the Lord has brought into your life? Paul said, every time I think of you, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Can you imagine what that's like as the uh, 
Thessalonians are reading that letter and they're hearing that their pastor, that their apostle that told them about Jesus is every time he thinks of them, he's thanking God for them, that he values them. How many know we need to value each other? We need to thank God for the people that the Lord has given us. So I was writing at my desk and I just paused and I, began, I raised my hands and I began to thank the Lord for face after face after face after face. And then I began to think about Fenwick Island, the people in Fenwick Island uh, that are there. Pastor Mickey down there that serves communion every Sunday. Pastor Mickey who sends me little coffee jokes every week. And I just take them for granted, but I began to thank God for Pastor Mickey. And so Paul is, Paul is writing this letter, and you can see his attitude. He's so grateful to God that God has blessed him with wonderful people in this life. And he's thanking God for them. So this week, one of the things you can do as you go through your week and you're riding down the road in your car or your truck, and somebody comes into your mind, somebody just crosses into your mind, and you think of them, and you say, Lord, thank you for so-and-so. Thank you that you have filled my life with someone like this. And Paul is grateful for the people that God has brought into his life. And let me just say this to you before we move on to the next point. I want you just to take this in. Paul is saying, I thank God every time I think of you. I want you to just take this in. God has blessed you with some wonderful people in your life and you need to give thanks to him because he has given you those people to be a blessing to you. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. And there's people that are a blessing in your life. If there's some people right now that are a blessing in your life that you can think of faces and names, would you just raise your hand right now? There's some people that have blessed me and been good to me. So you want to do that. Paul said, every time I think of you, I'm, I thank God for you, making mention of you in our prayers, making mention of you in our prayers. So how he's praying for them. He's thanking God for them, and he's praying for them. So who, who should you pray for? Who should you pray for? You should pray, first of all, for people that you have a spiritual connection with, people that you have a spiritual connection with. Now, Paul has a spiritual connection with these people. So he led them to the Lord. He helped them start their church. So Paul has a spiritual connection with them. And so he prays for people that he has a spiritual connection with. There's, what, 6 billion, 7 billion people in this world. You can't pray for everybody. So where do you start praying? You start praying for, for people that you have a spiritual connection with, people that God has joined your heart with. And uh, if, as, as you follow the Lord and you come to church and you worship and you get in small groups and you come regularly to church and all that, as you do that, the Holy Spirit will knit you together with certain people and people that have been joined to you in heart, you're to pray for them on a regular basis. So Paul is praying for them. He's not praying for everybody in the ancient world. He's praying for these people because he has a spiritual connection with them. So you always pray for people that you have a spiritual connection with. So that's very, very important that you do that. And uh, when I was in Bible college, uh, I remember uh, when I went to go to Bible college, I was 21, 20 years old, 21 years old. And I'm an introvert by nature uh, a little bit. And so I remember Karen and I moved to this, uh, this city, Pensacola, Florida. We didn't know anybody. And so we are in, uh, you know, we're going to school and she's working as a dental assistant and I'm working, you know, in between semesters. And 
And so I remember going to school. It wasn't a big school, but I didn't, I didn't really know anybody at all. And I remember, uh, you know, after class one day, or actually in between class, we had three-hour classes. And so in between, the, uh, the, there was a break between the three-hour classes. And so halfway through, you got a break. And so I'm sitting on a bench outside of the classroom building. And it's a spring day, and I'm just looking at the beautiful azaleas there uh, on the campus, the most beautiful azaleas. And I'm looking at them, and I'm just, I'm I'm enjoying being there, but I'm a little bit lonely because I don't really know anybody. And I'm sure you can relate to that. Maybe you've been somewhere before, you just feel a little lonely. So I'm like there, and and this guy walks up up to me, and he he introduces himself. His name is Gary. He said, my name is Gary Byram. I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. And he said, asked me what my name was. And it was my first semester at the school and his first semester. So he sat down at the bench beside me. And we began to talk. Our wives were about this. You know, we didn't have children yet. And our wives were about the same age. And we were about the same age. And his dad was a, uh, owned a big florist business <clears throat> in Charlotte, North Carolina. We came from a pretty wealthy family. And uh, so I learned a little bit about his family. And so we had dinner together as couples later on that week. And then we got together some more and more. And, and uh, we, we went to the beach together. And out of all the people at the school, this guy, there was like a spiritual connection that the Lord gave me with him. And it uh, wasn't too long after that that there was a hurricane that came into the Gulf region. In this fall, there's hurricanes that always hit Florida. You know, Hurricane Alley is what they call Florida. I mean, it's just there was a hurricane coming. And so it was the first hurricane that we'd experienced while we were there, Hurricane Frederick, 1979. And we lived in a little mobile home, and I remember... Uh, Someone knocking on our door said we had to get out of our mobile home because the hurricane was coming. And we didn't know where we were going to go. But as we're packing up to leave, the phone rang, and it was my friend Gary. And Gary said, you guys need a place to stay? And I said, oh, my, we do. So we went to his, his place. And remember, his family is more wealthy. He had like a brick house, you know. So went from the mobile home to the brick house. It's always good to have people that have friends that have more money than you do. That's a good thing. So... We went there, and we had dinner together, and the hurricane starts whipping up, and then we lose electricity, and you can hear the wind howling, and I'd never been in a hurricane like that before, and we're going through this whole thing, and, and electricity goes out, as I mentioned, and our wives went to bed, and just Gary and I there, and we both loved to play chess. So we had no electricity. We had a chessboard. And we had flashlights, and so we held the flashlights up over the chessboard, and we played chess all through the storm until the next morning when the storm passed. And it was a wonderful, wonderful memory. And we became friends, and for the next three years, we were very close. And when they finished school, they moved in with us for uh, about a month before they moved back to Charlotte, North Carolina. And, you know, God joins you to certain people to help you when you go through storms in life. And that's why God gives you certain people. He gives you people in your life so that when the storms hit, there's somebody to sit with in the storm to help you get through the storm. And Paul was sent by God to help these people that are going through persecution get through the storm. And he's sitting there with them with a flashlight playing chess in the storm And he's praying for them. Always pray for people that God has connected your heart to. 
And when we kind of go through our lives and we're busy and we do all this stuff, but we forget, like the Apostle Paul, to give thanks for people that God has given us and then also to pray for people that are, are needing our prayers and people that we love and people that we've been joined to. The Bible says that when David killed Goliath, you remember that story in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, when he killed Goliath uh, and he had that great victory, that David was talking to King Saul. And King Saul's son, Jonathan, was watching David, who had just killed Goliath, talk to his dad. And it says this, that the Lord joined the heart of Jonathan to, to David. That at that moment, the Lord knit his heart with David, and they stood with each other and helped each other through hard times. So you want to pray for people that God has put in your life. This week, uh, I have a friend that came, that's staying with us actually, uh, came in on Thursday, one of my best friends, David Kerr, who lives in, uh, lives in Arlington, Texas. And David and I met each other in Bible college 40-some years ago. Here's a picture of me and David. And uh, David and I, he's my accountability partner. Uh, I call him and talk to him every month. And uh, we pray for each other. We play tennis together. Uh, and we laugh together. We watch comedians together. And we pray for each other because there's a spiritual connection. And one of the dreams we have for Bayshore is that we'll be a church of you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of small groups where people are in a small group where, they, where the Holy Spirit helps connect their hearts to each other. And when God connects your heart to somebody, when he connects your heart to somebody, you have a calling to pray for that person. So Paul said, I give thanks to God for you. And I pray for you always. In the words of the present tense, I always am praying for you. Every time I think of you, I pray for you. So what a real church does, a real church is a church that has people that are knit together by the Holy Spirit, that God joins people together, that God connects people together. And like the Apostle Paul, we pray for each other and encourage each other and strengthen each other because that is what our calling is. So you pray for people that you've been spiritually connected to. You pray for people that you have spiritual oversight over. Pray for people you have spiritual oversight over. Um, Paul had spiritual oversight over the church of Thessalonica. He was their pastor. He established them. So part of my job is not simply to preach to you. Part of our staff's job, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Mickey, Pastor Chase, uh, Pastor Jeremy, our job is, part of our job as a staff is to pray for you and to pray for you and to intercede for you. Remember in the Old Testament, the, the high priest had a ephod, a, a vest he wore. It had 12 stones in it, and each of the stones represented one of the tribes of Israel. And when the high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies, on his heart he had the people he was responsible for overseeing. So if you have oversight over someone, you're supposed to pray for them. Now, this comes down to the micro level. If you are a dad and you're a mom and you have kids that you, are, uh, you, are, uh, in, you have in your life, uh, and you, how many have kids right now? You have kids? How many have grandkids? Raise your hand. Part of your calling is to pray for them on a regular basis because you have spiritual oversight for them. 
So you always pray for people you have spiritual oversight for. So that means I should be praying for Joel and his wife Stacy. I should be praying for Tim and Jessica and for all of our grandkids, all four of our grandkids. And some of them need deliverance from devils. You know, we need to pray for the Lord to help them, you know. They get a little, rec- a little wild every once in a while, so we need to pray for our grandkids. So you pray for people you have spiritual oversight over. Susanna Wesley, who was the mother of John Wesley, when, when she was, uh, you know, had kids, she had 13 kids. She had more than that. She lost some of them, but she had 13 surviving kids. She would pray for those kids every day. And John Wesley became a great preacher, and Charles Wesley became a great songwriter, and those, God used all those kids. And the signal was, was the kids, when they're all around the house, can you imagine 13 kids in this little house? She would, uh, she told the kids, when you see mom, put her apron over her head. That means that mom is praying. Do not disturb mom. So I'm sure sometimes mom put her apron over her head just taking a nap. But anyhow, (laughs) she put her apron over her head and she's interceding. She's praying for her kids. She's praying for them, interceding for them. So you pray for people, you have spiritual oversight. Everybody here today, you have spiritual oversight over someone. And Paul prayed for these uh, Thessalonians because he had spiritual oversight over them so you pray for people you have spiritual oversight over you pray for people last thing you pray for people that are going through a hard time you pray for people that are really going through a hard time and the Thessalonians are in the in the thick of persecution they're going through a difficult time and Paul says I make mention of you always in my prayers he's praying for them because they're going through a hard time he knows they're being persecuted when we read the book uh further in the book he's Chapter 4 talks about some that have died in Thessalonica and they're wondering what happens if they miss the second of coming, if they've already died. Probably those people he's talking about are some of those people that were martyred in the city of Thessalonica for their faith. And so he's praying for them because they're going through a hard time. Karen and I, when we have, before we have dinner uh, at night, when we pray over our dinner, we always have about two or three people that we know in our church here that are going through a especially hard time. And so we'll take a moment and we'll lift their names up to the Lord before we eat our food. Lord bless so-and-so. Pray for them because of what they're going through. Uh, They're going through a loss or they're going through treatment. So we pray for them. Pray for people by by name that are going through a hard time. I don't know if you know the Ricky Skaggs song. Somebody's praying. I can feel it. Somebody's praying for me. Mighty hands are guiding me to protect me from what I can't see. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Somebody's praying for me. Now, I did that because I'm auditioning. Uh, I'm auditioning for the praise team, so I thought that would be a nice time to do that. So pray for people that are going through a hard time. Lord, we give thanks. You say to Lord, Lord, I give thanks for my wife, for my best friend. I give thanks for people in my small group. I give thanks for people that you've spiritually joined me to. Lord, I give thanks for those people that I'm, I have oversight over, and I pray for my children, and I pray for my sons and my daughter-in-laws and my grandchildren. And I pray for people that are in my small group. I pray for people I have spiritual oversight over. And then I pray for people that are going 
through a hard time. They're going through a hard time. So I want you to uh, join me this morning. I want you to lift your hands, and I want us to begin that process. Our assignment this week is to just simply to give thanks and to pray for people. So lift up your hands, and let's let the Lord just help us. Uh, first of all, Lord, we, we, we repent for not really thinking about people that you've blessed us with and not giving thanks for them. So this week, as faces come into our mind, let our hearts be raised in gratitude. Lord, let us be people of prayer. Let us be people of diligence to seek you and pray for people that are special to us, that you've joined us to. Father, wouldn't it be wonderful, Lord, if our whole, everybody in our church and everybody in the church of Jesus Christ had somebody every day praying for them because of the networking of the Spirit of God. Help us to pray for each other. Help us to lift each other up. Father, we pray your blessing on us as we go into this week. We thank you for blessing us. Just say this with me. Lord Jesus, you have blessed me. You've kept me. You've surrounded me with a great cloud of witnesses, people that love me, people that are cheering for me. And Lord, I give you praise that you've given me everything I need to be steadfast in my faith. Jesus name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.